As strategic communications professionals, there is one secret weapon we aren't shy to use. Coffee. We use it to have private conversations, boss to employee, employee to boss, with co-workers as we talk through ideas, to catch up, to bond. We use it in our strategies like coffee conversations, coffee clutches, world cafes. A stakeholder is angry with you, you go for coffee. Someone's happy with you, you go for coffee. Why coffee? Comedian Jerry Seinfeld once wondered the same thing. Have you ever been in a place where there was no coffee at all? Every door I open, somebody goes, like coffee? Having coffee? Who's having coffee? Can I have some coffee? Do you want coffee? While you're waiting, can I get you a cup of coffee? Even if you have coffee, would you like more coffee? Can I fill that up for you? Can I warm that up? Can I top that up? I mean, I feel like I could lift up a manhole cover. We just made a fresh pod. Would you like some? Today on Stories and Strategies, are we simply addicted to coffee, or is this a real relationship that makes our communication better? My name is Doug Downs. My guest today is Dr. Thomas Merritt, a professor at the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry at Laurentian University in Sudbury, Ontario. Hello, Dr. Merritt. Hello. How are you? Good. And you are joining us from Cape Cod, Massachusetts today, where I bet it's beautiful and you're heading to the beach later. It it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, We are thinking about the beach. Uh, You know, pandemics and beaches are a tough mix. Long way from Sudbury, but, but soon enough, hopefully. That's right. Dr. Merritt, you have a PhD in molecular evolution from the Department of Biological Sciences at the University of South Carolina. You have a master's in science in developmental genetics at the Department of Zoology at Oregon State University and a bachelor's of science with honors and distinction from the Department of Biology at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And I assume amongst all that studying, there were lots of cups of coffee. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Um, I didn't start coffee until my master's. And I started in a department where they literally had a triple beam balance next to the coffee maker. And you were lectured on how much coffee went into every pot of coffee. So I I started uh, with sort of a big jump in, uh, and I have not looked back since then. Dr. Merritt, the way I came across your name was reading an article you wrote in Neuroscience News, which I love, by the way. And you begin the article with a very revealing note to connect with the reader saying, you're reading this with a cup of coffee in your hand, aren't you? I'm not going to ask, how did you know? Because you're a scientist. So I want to ask, why did you know? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and so the article was actually originally published in The Conversation, uh, which is a publication for professors to talk about their research. Um, and I, I do drink a lot of coffee. Um, and I work on the genetics of individuality, what makes us us, what makes you slightly different than me. Uh, and one of the really interesting things that, that we or ways that we differ is, is the way that we approach coffee. So coffee is, is essentially the most popular drink in the world. And, and tea drinkers will argue that it's them, um, but that's tea. So if you look at North America, um, uh, Americans uh, drink more coffee than all sodas combined. And that's a lot of coffee. Um, so I was interested in the biology behind that. Um, But I'm also interested in talking to people about science and biology. And and so there's a good intersection there. We can use coffee as a way to start that conversation about the fundamental science that makes us us. Okay. Well, let's dig into the biology of coffee. Obviously, we know it has addictive properties, but just a simple, simple yes or no, please. Is it good or bad for us? Yes and no. (laughs) 
and and neither. So I mean, obviously, you're 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 setting me up on that one. Um, it 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 is surprisingly good for us, um, given the fact that it's actually a really powerful drug. Um, so the 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 component, the piece of coffee, the, the part of coffee that we're all familiar with is the caffeine. Um, and caffeine is, is certainly um, the most consumed psychoactive drug in the planet, whether you get it from soda, whether you get it from tea, whether you get it from, from coffee. Um, and it is, it is very much legit, legitimately a drug and we need to treat it as, as such. Um, but coffee is, is a really gentle way to get that stimulant from, from the caffeine. Um, and it ends up that the other things that are in coffee lead to a number of, of health, uh, positive health effects. And um, we can talk about those too. But from the caffeine side, you get that little boost. And coffee doesn't have a huge amount of caffeine. Um, so you have a cup of coffee in the morning. It helps you sort of wake up a little bit. Um, and there's definitely a positive aspect to that. Okay. So, so, so you mentioned positives in coffee. I think you're going to get to the antioxidants. How does my brain change if I have coffee? every morning as opposed to if I don't. And so there are a couple of levels of, of answer to that. Um, the more coffee you consume, the less you respond to coffee. But fundamentally, the way that we respond to coffee is that caffeine looks like a naturally occurring molecule in our body called adenosine. And adenosine is one of the molecules that helps you wind down and, and, and sort of turn off and, and go to sleep. And so the, the coffee, the caffeine ring, structure. So the physical structure of that caffeine looks like adenosine and it mimics that and it keeps your body from shutting down or it helps your body sort of move out of that shutdown period. And so a little bit of caffeine is a good thing because it's that stimulant and it wakes you up. Too much of that coffee and you get into sort of the jittery aspects of that where your body can't shut down and, and calm down. And so how do you respond? You have that cup of coffee and you get that little boost. The more, like any drug, the more of the drug you consume, you start to get resistant to it. And so what we want to avoid is drinking coffee to the point where you build up a, a real tolerance to the caffeine um, or you become addicted, whether it's a psychological or a physical addiction where you really feel like you have to have that cup of coffee uh, to get going in the morning. And, and I think that many of us are sort of skating that fine edge of, you know, I'd like a cup of coffee in the morning versus I have to have a cup of coffee in the Ah, tell me a bit more about the antioxidants um, that coffee has for us and the benefits those bring. Yeah, Doug, that, that's a really good question. So when we think about coffee, there are two main components. And caffeine is the first thing that jumps out at you. Um, but the other biologically active component to coffee are the antioxidants. Um, and like caffeine, so caffeine looks like a naturally occurring molecule in the body. Antioxidants actually are naturally occurring molecules that you find in the body. So any living organism generates a certain amount of waste as just part of metabolism. You cannot be alive without generating waste. And antioxidants are this broad class of molecules, and their job in the, in the cell is to scrub out those wastes. And what we find with coffee is that the antioxidants in coffee have the same effect. And so there are a number of positive health effects that are associated with coffee. So when we look at people that are, that are substantial coffee drinkers, there's lower incidence of Alzheimer's, there's lower incidence of some cancers, there's a particular liver cancer that seems to be particularly responsive to coffee drinking. Um, and let me be clear, coffee is not going to cure cancer and coffee does not cure Alzheimer's, but consuming coffee puts you at a lower risk for these things. And we think you're at a lower risk because of the antioxidants. And so the molecules in coffee are literally scrubbing the waste within your body. All right. And so the more coffee, the more antioxidants, and there's a health benefit. Let me also be clear. There are a lot of better ways to get antioxidants than coffee. But if you're going to drink a lot of coffee, it's a positive aspect of that. But if you want antioxidants, 
eat blueberries, fresh vegetables. There, there are lots of really great sources of, antioc of those antioxidants that are out there. But the health benefits that we see from coffee, we think are actually because of the antioxidants that are in that hot black nectar that we also enjoy. Okay, and shifting from the biology to the very human elements here, the woman who would later become my wife of now 21 years, the first question I asked her was, what's your name? Second question, though, was, want to go for coffee? Followed quickly by, how about now? What are your thoughts on how coffee has evolved to be such a focal point, not just for human conversation, but for the very necessary acts of social interaction amongst human beings? Yeah, and so I love this connection that, that you and I have because uh, when my wife and I started dating, um, one of the first things that I did to impress her was I made her a cup of coffee a day for seven days using a different coffee maker. Um, so I, I have now, um, I don't know, 75 or 100 coffee makers in my office. At this point as a grad student, I had maybe 20. Um, and in my 30-year-old brain, um, somehow I convinced myself that what really impresses a potential partner is handing them a cup of coffee with a new coffee maker every day. Um, and miraculously, she tolerated that. And, and when I proposed, uh, you know, agreed to be my wife 20 years ago. Coffee is a great conversation driver. And why is that? And, and you know, it's enough of a great conversation driver when somebody says to you, oh, I'm a, a tea person. There's always that hesitation of, oh, really? Oh, oh okay. Well, you know, that, that's, that's good too. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, a lot of it is social, I think. And, and you know, you, you're in different cultures. Um, there's definitely the, the biology of the stimulant where you, you sit down, um, you bring a little bit of stimulant into your body and you, you pick yourself up. Um, caffeine, like many drugs, have a reinforcing uh, properties. And so your body starts to associate the, the behavior with that, that drug. And so one of the things that you may associate with coffee is, is having this conversation. So there's a legitimate stimulant effect, but there's also this sort of um, I don't want to say secondary effect, but there's sort of this learned behavior where your body begins to associate having a conversation with having that cup of coffee in your hand. Um, and honestly, as we sort of work to try to moderate the amount of caffeine that, that we consume, a good cup of decaf is, is not the, uh, you know, just the, the complete oxymoron that it used to be. Um, the roaster that I love in my uh, hometown of Sudbury, Ontario, makes a mean decaf. And I, I resisted it for years. Um, but I spend a lot of time with a cup of coffee in my hand. And, you know, by the fourth or fifth hour, uh, making a pot of decent decaf, so a decent pot of decaf, sitting down and, and having that cup of coffee, you still have that social aspect where you've got the cup in your hand, you've got that drink, you're, you're sort of the social piece, um, but you're not bringing more caffeine in. Um, and so I think why coffee, I think that we learn to associate coffee with having a good conversation. Um, I think there's the biology behind this little bit of a stimulant. And so those two start to go hand in hand. Some global coffee statistics I was able to find. People in Scandinavian and Nordic countries consume the most coffee per person, about 10 kilograms of beans per year. Again, that's per person. Belgians and Canadians consume the next group, about six kilograms of beans per year. So a little more than half uh, the amount of Scandinavian countries. Americans, four kilograms of beans or nine pounds. And the British consume about three kilos or half a stone. Every day, there are 2.25 billion cups of coffee consumed worldwide. Two in three adults in Canada and the United States drink coffee and in the UK, well, According to the British Coffee Association, you can throw away the stereotypes 
the statistic is the same, two in three adults. So Professor Merritt, does this suggest we're addicted to caffeine or addicted to conversation? Yeah, I, I think that it says that we have a definite pattern of behavior. Um, I, I don't think that addicted to, to caffeine, I mean, like I said before, we have to be very conscious of the fact that caffeine is a drug. Um, but I think if we all sit down and have a cup of coffee, that's really not a bad way to address the world. And, and having this repeated pattern of a cup of coffee um, in the morning or a cup of coffee in the afternoon, that, that's not a, a, an immediate red flag of addiction. Um, I think it just says we like to have a good conversation. And it's important to communication strategies, such as crisis communications, which is very di difficult, and we've all learned it's critical and it's science. So here's an example. In the 1982 movie Airplane 2, the sequel distributed by Paramount, flight attendant Julie Haggerty has a tough communications assignment. She needs to choose her words to the passengers very carefully as she tells them something has gone wrong with the flight they're on. She wants to keep them soothed. Ladies and gentlemen, please calm down. Please listen to me. I want to tell you what's going on with the ship. Thank you. We've been thrown off course just a tad. What's a tad? Something happened. Exactly. What's a tad? What exactly is a tad? In space terms, that's about half a million miles. The bombs you feel are asteroids smashing into the hull of this ship. Also, we're flying without a navigational system and can't oh, seem to change course. Miss, are you telling us absolutely everything? Not exactly. We're also out of coffee. <laughs> she was doing well up until that point. You got to get everything in perspective. That's right. Everything that's... in perspective. And if we're out of coffee, that's, that's not good. I mean, honestly, when we set up uh, scientific conferences, I, I co-organized a pair of conferences in my field last year. And the organizers, we said from the very beginning, if you put together a good coffee break, it doesn't matter what else you do. Um, and that, that, is a, that is a sort of rule of thumb of every meeting we put together. Do you have a good coffee break? And if you do, the logistics, like with a PowerPoint, didn't work. You know, at the end of the day, when people are flying home from the meeting, they're not going to say, boy, I wish that PowerPoint had been a little bit smoother. But I hired a barista from our local roaster to supply coffee for the 48 hours, the two days of this meeting. Because at the end of the day, when everybody was flying home or driving home, what they were talking about was how great those lattes were, uh, not that the fact that the room was too bright and you couldn't see the screen. That's a great point. Is, is there a point, if, if coffee helps me with conversation, and if at some point too much coffee is, is too much, is, is there a point where having a coffee during a conversation is hurting my ability to have that conversation. And I'm not sure what that looks like, whether it's I'm talking too fast or my brain is racing because my heart can start pumping if I have too much coffee, right? And is all this just a placebo? Oh, it's absolutely not a placebo. And, and there are absolutely, you can, you can drink too much coffee and, and it depends on what you're doing. So if you're sitting around with a cup of coffee uh, and you have another cup of coffee, okay. Um, I really love lattes uh, and sorry, I really love espressos and, and my favorite thing in the world is a double espresso and maybe my second favorite thing in the world is a double macchiato, which is an espresso with just sort of a dash of foam milk. Um, and there are a couple of places in Toronto where there are three coffee shops that I think are just absolutely to die for that are within a 10 minute walk. And so six espressos, six double espressos into the afternoon, I am not capable of making good decisions. 
Um, and so, you know, that's sort of an extreme case, but you really want to think about it. Um, if you're going to have a conversation that's super important, there's only so much stimulant you want to put in your body before you start going over the top. And so, you know, again, the idea is a, a certain amount of moderation, have that cup of coffee, uh, but think about what you're trying to do. And, and like any drug, you want to be clear headed with what you're doing and too much coffee will absolutely make you sort of too stimulated. You're going to be bouncing around. Things are not going to be sinking, sinking in. You're not going to be making those good decisions. Okay, you are at Laurentian University in Sudbury, and I lived in Sudbury for three years working for the local TV station, so it's a special city for me. I loved it there. I understand Laurentian has taken the great step to build a master's in science communication program, and there's nothing else like this, at least in North America, maybe the world. Tell me a bit about this program. Yeah, it's a fantastic graduate program, and so um, we get students from all over the world with very different backgrounds, but they're, they are serious about the, the profession of science communication. So the director of the program is Chantel Berriou. Uh The program has been around for quite a few years, but we've moved to a master's format in the last couple of years. Um, the students are amazing. Uh, and, you know, you talk about the importance of communication. Communication is something that, that I think we all feel like we have some idea of how to do it. Um, but I think we're beginning to, to realize that, that there are better ways to do it and worse ways to do it. And in science communication, we have an incredibly important goal. Um, if you look at the world around us now with this pandemic, it is really important that people understand the facts behind this virus and the, fact, the facts behind this pandemic. And a lot of that falls on the shoulders of people that are doing professional science communication. So the point of this program is to train people to do that. How do you talk to scientists like myself um, who are not necessarily really good at talking to the public. And then how do you, you talk to them, you speak to them, you internalize that. And then how do you get that message back to the public in a way that, that respects what the scientist is trying to say, but gets that point across to the public. So the, the point of this, this master's program in science communication is to teach students to do that, whether it's teaching them to speak or whether it's teaching them to put together graphics, to write. Uh, it's a really well-rounded program. Uh, and the students who come out of it are pretty amazing. Um, they, they understand the profession of communication with the idea of science. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for talking to me. It's been a lot of fun. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Dr. Thomas Merritt, you can email him at tmerritt, double R, double T, at Laurentian.ca. If you'd liked what you heard today, we're hoping you choose to subscribe to Stories and Strategies and receive updated episodes automatically. We're also hoping you choose to follow and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever directory you're listening on. You could also choose to leave a review, and we'd love that, like Khaleesi did on Apple Podcasts. Khaleesi says, each episode I spend 15 minutes listening and a couple of hours thinking about it. That's a coffee break well spent. And would you do us a favor and recommend this podcast to one friend? And if you have an idea for an episode or you just want to tell us something, send us a note at info at jgrcommunications.com. Thanks for listening.